0: Welcome to part two of our episodes related to pregnancy-related infections. On this episode, I'm joined again by Professor Shastra Bura and Dr. Jared Zamparini. Hi again to you both. Hi, Ivan. So anyone who's a regular listener of Micromail will know that one of our favorite things to do is to bust myths. We have busted blood culture myths on episode two and urinary tract infection myths on episode 10. As we said in the previous episode, pregnancy is one of those physiological states that makes everyone a little nervous. Hence, a ton of myths and old wives tales have developed. So today, we're going on a pregnancy and breastfeeding myth hunt. So Jared and Shastra, are you both ready for a good myth-busting session? Yes, let's do it. Yeah, let's go. Awesome. Let's head into it. So myth one is, you have a tachycardia and are a bit hypoxemic. These symptoms are normal for pregnancy.
1: Yeah. So as we mentioned in the previous episode, a number of clinical symptoms and signs are common in, which are common in pregnancy may mimic signs of infection. Um, it's easiest to think about it per system. So we've already mentioned dyspnea, but remember that tachypnea and hypoxemia are not normal. Um, so that's in terms of the respiratory system. If you look at the cardiovascular system, what's always been taught is that tachycardia may be normal in pregnancy. But a big study involving about 4,000 women published in 2020 showed that the rise is not as exaggerated as has been taught before. Mm -hmm. So the median heart rate rose to a maximum of 90 at 34 weeks, so an increase of about 9 beats per minute um, compared to pre-pregnancy readings. And the 97th percentile was 110 or so. So anything above 100 causing symptoms should probably be looked into. into. And and that's the big thing with tachycardia. If it's not causing trouble and -hmm. you've worked it up and you can't find any issues – then it's probably just related to pregnancy. But if you have symptoms or you find something abnormal on an ECG or um, you suspect there's an infection going on, then it's not normal. Um, And if you're talking genitourinary, then we can't forget to mention frequency of micturition, um, which is common, but dysuria is always abnormal.
2: Right. I think it's very important that uh, we can't take chances with pregnant women. And like Jared mentioned, it's often by an exclusion for you to Mm. confirm or to be more confident that it is a normal entity within pregnancy. Mm. And I know he's going to get very angry because we send lots of patients for physician evaluation when they do have tachycardias. But it's on the premise that you cannot overlook that the physiology can mimic a disease process and vice versa. Mm. And so often with heart rates more than 100, those patients are often not discharged Um, until we've got a thorough workup, and then we can ultimately say this is a gestational um, tachycardia because it's within the pregnancy. But I think evaluating any signs and symptoms that patients present with, they've got a nervousness or an anxiety around it, and I think then it's extremely worthy for us to evaluate it until we can prove that it's benign. Mm.
1: Yeah, and I, I, I'll never get grumpy about a consult for <laughs> a tachycardia because if you miss the pulmonary embolism, if you, you miss the infection that's driving that tachy, it's 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 a disaster. It's so difficult. rather work it up and at the end of it say, there's nothing, this is normal, yeah. then leave it alone and, and you miss something big.
2: Uh, right. I have that now in writing and on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much for the support with Atricard. <laughs> Done. <laughs> So myth number two, most
0: antimicrobials are not safe in pregnancy. So let's steer clear of them.
1: Yeah. So we touched on this in the first episode, but to go into more, de- into more detail, before we had the FDA category, so it was A, B, C, D, and X. And they, they were yeah. useful for, a quick, for quick at-a-glance info. You could have a look and say, okay, doxycycline is category D. I can't use that at all.
0: But you had to remember which one was which. And exactly. That was the confusing Yes, exactly. Thing. <laughs> what does D mean and what does C mean? The
1: big thing is you couldn't tell why you couldn't use it from that quick look. That's true. So in 2018, they took out those old FDA categories and re- they replaced them with brief explanations on each drug. So now you can have a look and you say, okay, doxy, um, right, this drug can cause permanent discoloration of the teeth, but it's more likely after long-term exposure. And so then you can have a discussion with the pregnant woman and say to her, look, Doxy might be useful here, but we have other options. Or um, an extreme example is you have Rocky Mountain spotted fever, um, and you might die if we don't give you doxycycline. <laughs> so let's yeah. take the risk and treat you. Obviously, I'm, I'm being extreme here. We don't, we don't see, <laughs> see that disease here. But uh, I'm sure you get the point I'm yeah. making. Um, and, it, and it comes down to this important concept. I'm going to repeat it. Um, treat women who may become pregnant, are pregnant, or who have recently been pregnant the same as a non-pregnant person unless there's a very good reason not to. And that's from that most recent EMBRACE report. Mm. I I mean, I think, Vin, at the end of the day, it it all comes down to individualizing therapy and deciding what's best for mom, what's best for baby. Mm. Sepsis kills. If you have a woman with sepsis and an ESBL, Klebsiella pneumonia on blood culture, you're not going to say, oh, hold on, this drug may cross the placenta and there aren't enough trials studying it, so let's not use it. No, you're going to get that woman started on treatment, so she's not another statistic.
2: And I think it's important here to actually use our ethical principles when approaching dilemmas like this, um, in the sense of listening to the mom, explaining to her what condition she has, how it can be treated, and what the impact on the baby can be, because we know that sepsis kills. And so, like Jared has mentioned, we individualize each patient, look at the risk-benefit ratio, the mom comes first, but being a mom, I know that I would do anything for my unborn child. Yes. And so that's also a concept that we need to uh, you know, entertain and we need to embrace because we want a healthy mom and baby. And so consulting in terms of a team, often we also bring in the social worker in, we bring in a fetal maternal specialist so that these patients can understand what impact their disease process will have on the pregnancy And uh, surprisingly enough, most often, pregnant women will do what they need to to make sure that there is great benefit in the pregnancy. And so I haven't really had a a patient or have experienced anyone who's denied treatment for the better outcome of themselves and their unborn babies. And I think that's something we also really need uh, to bear in mind, that not everything in medicine can be harmful, but not everything in medicine can be beneficial. And so speaking to patients, I think, is also extremely important so they understand what it is you want to offer them. There's also a useful uh, app, if I may even. Mm. It's called LactMed. I was introduced to this uh, when I was a registrar many years ago. And it's uh, of great benefit in where you would, like Jared says, put in the drug name, for example, doxycycline, and then it will tell you what the risks are intrapartum, and it will tell you what the risks are from a breastfeeding perspective point of view. It doesn't say do or do not use, but it gives you Mm -hmm. or it empowers you with the information you need to make the right decision for that pregnant mom. Those are
0: really useful tips. And I I think what you say is important about making sure we communicate appropriately with patients. And this is something we've touched on on previous episodes of Microbe Mail. There's often discussion between and amongst the clinicians and the healthcare staff, and we forget that actually it's the patient that is being treated that needs to know what's going on with them.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So myth number three, and this is something for you, Jared, do not change HIV drugs during pregnancy.
1: Yeah, so HIV is a huge problem in our country. Um, Women of childbearing age are still disproportionately affected by the virus. Um, If you look at the maternal mortality stats, 47% of deaths occurred in HIV-positive women. So that's definitely higher than the background HIV positivity rate. And if you consider the maternal risks, and the risks for, the, for mother-to-child transmission, then absolutely, you can change ARVs in pregnancy if indicated. Do whatever you can to get the viral load suppressed. Also, dolutegravir is safe in pregnancy. If the listeners take one thing from this episode, I'll be happy if it's that. Um, there was an issue initially with the possibility of neural tube defects, but that's been shown that it's less likely a risk. And the most recent EDL has been updated to say that dolutegravir is safe in pregnancy. So please, Put women onto to tenofova, limovidine, the new first-line regimen, if needed. Okay,
2: great. I think we've come a very far way in terms of HIV and pregnancy. I remember in the early days where you had to have a CD4 count to qualify for therapy. Yes. And the main focus then was to decrease the viral transmission um, vertically across to the baby. Mm. And essentially, now pregnant women just on one positive test qualify for therapy and for treatment. And I think in view that we have really advocated so hard for this population group following the recent guidelines and making sure we're comfortable with them. And uh, I I really enjoy working with Jared when he's in the HIV clinic coming in from that background as well, because we can really motivate for better care. And it's still quite surprising and quite uh, disappointing that the majority of pregnant women that have adverse outcomes are either unbooked Mm -hmm. or we don't know HIV status. And uh, in view that we've got such a huge rollout for these patients, that should not be we the case. We shouldn't be seeing that. You're right. So myth number four,
0: this is something that I think is is a common one, not just in South Africa, but probably worldwide. X-rays are not safe to perform during pregnancy. And yeah. I ask this because obviously a lot of infections need um, investigations and imaging is one such investigation.
1: Yeah, so this is a personal bugbear of mine. Um, Every radiology unit has this huge sign-up. If you are pregnant or suspect you may be pregnant, please discuss this with your doctor. And that increases the fear of imaging. And But I'm not saying that pregnant women should be x-rayed or scanned without good cause. But what you need to look at is the data. A single chest x-ray exposes the fetus to about 0.01 milligray of radiation. And that's without a lead shield. Um, A CT chest, you're looking at about... 0.5 0.5 to 0.7 milligray of radiation and so to put that into sp- into perspective a long-haul flight so you're going joeberg to london or new york that exposes you, exposes you to about 0.03 milligray of radiation which is the equivalent of three chest x-rays and then you get an extra little bit from the airport scanner on each scan um, going there and back so if you fly to london you get about four chest x-rays worth of radiation are but, you
0: serious yeah <laughs>
1: But but no, but no one ever stresses about it. No one ever mentions <laughs> it. So for even more perspective, the threshold dose for miscarriage from radiation in early pregnancy is about 50 milligray and about 200 milligray for congenital anomalies. So, so yes, radiation is not without harm, but the benefit may outweigh the risk in the right setting. And it should be done judiciously and again with discussion with the patient and the team.
2: Right. I think it is very important that people are aware of these statistics and that an x-ray is potentially being ordered or is used as an adjunct because of all these signs and symptoms that we say we cannot evaluate accurately in pregnancy mm. and so it is a measure that we would use to include or exclude sinister diseases and it's quite important that we are able to maintain that patients are feel free to disclose when they are pregnant so that we can use things like an abdominal shield which is available in every radiology department. And I think if we look after this population group and we are able to continue with radiology uh, or exposure safely, then any form of adverse event from the actual procedure itself will be mitigated against. So myth
0: myth number five, something that we have sort of touched on in the previous episode,
2: dysuria is normal in pregnancy. So frequency of maturation or getting up to go to the bathroom five times in an hour can be normal, depending (laughs) on where or not to to be. Exactly. (laughs) So I mean I remember this used to be debilitating, especially when you were trying to sleep and you were nine months pregnant. Mm -hmm. But discomfort when you are going to the bathroom, a smelly uh, urine, any blood-stained urine, a burning urine, that's not normal. Mm. And I think pregnant women often shy against saying that it is painful or saying that it doesn't look normal because it's supposed to be a normal entity. Mm. And I think we need to educate the group in terms of knowing when it is normal and when it's not. But to answer this myth, does urea is normal in pregnancy? No, it is not. Please seek the right help so that we can assist with the right therapy, treatment, and the psychological support behind this very uncomfortable symptom.
1: Yeah, definitely. If if urine is burning, you need a dipstick, probably Mm. an MCNS, um, and then treatment. Mm. And and talking about treatment, um, we've traditionally used drugs like nitrofurantoin, um, kefroxime, or even amoxiclav in the right setting. Um, But something that we're starting to use a bit more now is phosphomycin. It hasn't really been used in pregnancy due to limited data, but we are starting to see data now that it is safe mm-hmm. and that it clears bacteria in the setting of asymptomatic bacteriuria in pregnancy. So I think watch the space when it comes to you know, single dose phosphomycin in pregnancy.
2: Yeah.
0: Moving on to myth number six. And I know this is something important to both of you. Mm-hmm. Vaccinations are not safe in pregnancy.
1: So this is partly true as it depends on the type of vaccine in question. Mm-hmm. Um, the big concern is live vaccines, as these pose the risk of fetal infection. I mean, there have been reports of subclinical infection. Um, use of live vaccines, such as yellow fever, um, measles, mumps, rubella, and varicella, it's, it's generally discouraged unless the benefit far outweighs the risk. So this would be in situations where the risk of infection is extremely high. But your inactivated vaccines, so influenza and uh, Tdap, so tetanus, diphtheria, um, inactivated pertussis, are actually recommended in pregnancy to prevent maternal and neonatal complications. And then your toxoids, like tetanus, are generally safe in pregnancy and they can be given if needed. And of course, the COVID vaccines are safe in pregnancy as well. So, yeah, vaccinations, inactivated, safe, live vaccines should be avoided.
2: So I think this is very important when it comes to women who want to become pregnant. And this is where preconceptual counselling is vitally important In that vaccinations that need boosters or that were not received during the vaccination rollout as a child need to be done prior to falling pregnant to protect women against the disease process, but also to protect any placental transfer. Because some of these disease processes can cause permanent blindness, microcephaly, um, and often babies can be born with severe um, anatomical as well as neurodevelopmental challenges. So I think vaccines need to be um, addressed more importantly in patients who want to fall pregnant and that we can try and make sure that they are safe to fall pregnant and then um, make sure that that there's a healthy pregnancy um, until the baby's delivered. So myth number seven, and this is the last myth that we have on this episode, is that antibiotics
0: must also be avoided during breastfeeding.
1: Yeah, so most antibiotics are safe in breastfeeding. An easy way to think about it is if there's an infant formulation, so a syrup, or it's used in the neonatal unit, then it's safe in breastfeeding. Um, a good resource is the NIH's LactMed database, as Shasta mentioned before. It, it actually used to be available as an app, but it's been discontinued. So That's Yeah, so if you're old enough like us and you have the app on your phone already, then <laughs> then, then you're welcome to phone and we'll have a look. But otherwise, you can just Google NIH LactMed. Um, and, and you can easily access it online.
2: So is it a PDF? Or no,
1: it's a website. It's a database online, you
2: know, and okay. it's free to access. Okay. So I think the most common one that we often um, are presented with is women who are breastfeeding and then present with blocked uh, ducts mm-hmm. or a breast abscess. Mm. And most often uh, people are very nervous about uh, administering antibiotics And that's where you'd need the two-step approach in terms of appropriate antibiotic stewardship together with uh, source control or draining of the duct or release of the abscess. And so we don't advocate to stop breastfeeding in these instances. You will use the breast that's not affected. And as soon as the other breast has had a chance to heal and has been treated, then you'd move on to using each breast alternatively. And I think what would be very important here would be to have preventative measures so encourage women after vaginal delivery, if there was any form of injury or tears, sits baths, uh, perennial care, if it was a cesarean section, how to look after your wound, mm-hmm. how to be able to anticipate if it's weeping, when to uh, report to your uh, nearest clinic or to your delivery center. And we can essentially most times actually uh, treat these patients with topical management conservatively and do not need to introduce antibiotics. But I have found with patients who've already delivered, they end up presenting much later. One is because they're afraid of being admitted into the hospital and leaving the newborn baby baby. unattended. The other is that if they are admitted, babies often have to stay at home. We Mm -hmm. don't have a facility where we can house them together. And then there's an interruption in terms of the uh, Feeding. feeding method. So then these patients are not given the opportunity to breastfeed and then the baby is put onto formula or bottle feeds. So there's a whole culture that we actually need to identify where the weaknesses are to try and strengthen that women do not need antibiotics when they are breastfeeding if we can have these preventative measures and address them quickly enough such that they actually don't turn into an infection um, that becomes debilitating for mom and separates her from her That's newborn baby. Yeah, absolutely. Those are important points. So guess what? It's what? game time. Okay.
0: <laughs> you game got away with it in the previous episode. <laughs> you can't be so lucky twice in a row. So we're going to have a microbe spelling bee and we'll do best of three.
2: Oof.
0: Wow. Okay, hey, Ben ready? was not okay. prepared for this. But Is there a
1: prize? Pride.
0: They, well you get a microbe named after okay. you, don't you okay. remember? <laughs> so you're gonna have to shout out your name okay. if you're ready to spell. Okay. Um, right, are we ready?
1: Ready. Okay. Okay,
0: let's go, let's go. The f- and they're all pregnancy related. So okay. these these should be <laughs> bugs oh, you're going both to be familiar so with. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so first one. Who can spell Listeria? Jared. Oh, that's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it.
1: Uh, L-I-S-T-E-R-I-A. Well done. Yes. That's one point, Jared. Okay,
0: well Garrett. done, Jared. <laughs> the easy one. <laughs> uh, next one. Can you? So we know that Streptococcus agalactii causes infections in the mother and the baby. Mm-hmm. So can you spell
2: agalactii? Okay, Shastra, i will try. <laughs> Go for it. A g Yes. A. Yes. G- you were almost there. Oh, no. <laughs> don't try to get to go it in. was the E, right? Was
0: it the E? <laughs> it was the arrangement of the I's and the A's and the okay. E's at the I end. But you were much... almost
2: there. So that's half a point, right? So, so just for know, the know. listeners <laughs>
0: listening, Shastra was busy <laughs> finger lettering on my desk here. That's why we have registrar. <laughs> I'm going to give you half a point, but I got a yeah. letter. I'd have a go. Okay, so be...
2: But now he knows where to put the I and the E. <laughs> so
1: it'll be A-G-A-L-A-C-T-I-A-E. Well done. Yes. <laughs> Two
0: points to Jared.
2: That's not fair. <laughs> Half
0: a point to Shasta. You can okay. still come back Okay, you okay. Can still come Let's back. do the
2: next one. Okay.
0: Next one is also common cause of urinary tract infections in women, pregnant and non-pregnant, Escherichia coli. Can you please spell Sharisha. Jared? Go first. <laughs> Come on, Shastra.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, I'm making sure that the I's and the A's are <laughs> in the, now, the, right the right place now. I'm
0: going to
1: type as I go so I can don't have to finger draw on the desk. E S C H E R I A C A E? I things, I in things out again. Okay.
2: Eshericia. E s h e r a e s c h e r i a c i a e. Okay. Way too many eyes. Way too many <laughs> e's all
0: over the place. Eshericia is spelled e s c h e r i c h. I a.
1: I can spell coli.
0: <laughs> you don't get why, any points. You can always, do it, but you don't get any points. But it's
2: always reported as E dot coli. <laughs> yes, exactly.
0: Which is why I had to ask you to spell that one and <laughs> not the coli. Does it, does it
2: help that we you know how to treat it? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Okay. You both get 10 <laughs> points for knowing how to
0: treat it. <laughs> okay. Next one. Okay. So we're still on two points, Jared. Point five points, Shastra. Can you spell treponema? Jared.
2: Go, first. <laughs> go okay. for very
1: quick, go. T R E P O N E M A.
0: Well done.
1: Yes, easy one.
0: You are spelling bee winner. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well done, chair. Oh. Now we need to name you. Goodness. So, <laughs> Zamparini bacillus.
1: Oh, that'll be a
0: good one. Jaredella.
1: Enterobacter zamparini. <laughs>
0: Well, Stop fine, if one. you prefer that one, go for it. Now, now he has to spell that. <laughs> now he's got to spell it, exactly. English. No, 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 I'll
1: pass. I have to run to a consult.
0: <laughs> so are we going with Zamperini bacillus gerodetta?
1: I, I, like I like it. Okay, cool.
0: Next time you approve an antibiotic script, I'll that's right. what I want to see on it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you both so much for joining Thank me you, on ben. both of these episodes. I had fun recording with you. I'm glad we busted some of these myths together.
2: Yeah, it's we easy. too. And, and I really uh, thank you for giving us a platform so we could bring about more of an awareness mm-hmm. so that uh, pregnant patients are a priority for, like Jared said, anybody looking after them. Um, and please, I mean, Jared's now a uh, microbe, uh, spelling bee, funda, <laughs> with his own microbe named after him. So yeah. any tachycardia you have in pregnancy, please call him
1: out. <laughs> I think, I think Shastra like as much as we're joking, I think please phone. If you're not sure... Pick up the phone, drop an email. Always happy to help. You'd rather ask a question and know you've done the right thing than think you've done the right thing and you've done the wrong thing and not asked. Yeah,
0: definitely. Uh, I hope you can both join me again sometime soon. And I'm pretty sure we can come up with some more excellent pregnancy related topics to discuss in the future.
2: Look forward to it. And uh, next time, I'm winning, Jared.
1: Well, (laughs) brush up on your spelling.
2: (laughs) Excellent. That's it from me, Vin. See you again soon with more contagious milk.